This is Off the Record, the weekly KOTO public affairs show that offers you, the listener, an opportunity to hear in-depth conversations on community topics and issues that matter. As always, you are encouraged to join the conversation by calling 728-4333. Now here's your host. Good evening, Kodo listeners. This is Matt Hoish from the Kodo News Team. Welcome to the first off the record of July 2022. Welcome. Uh, we got a really exciting show for you all because this show, I think, is is maybe the most universal show we could have come up with, frankly, for this hour. Um, namely, it's all about food, which at the end of the day, I think, is probably one of the most uniting things we have in this tiny world of ours. And we have three wonderful locals on to talk about just so many aspects of, of the culinary world of, of food with us this hour. We have us in studio, with us in studio, Persephone Vordokas. She's the executive chef at The View at Mountain Lodge. We have Sadie Farrington, owner of Tomboy Butcher, and Galena Gleason, a board member with The Fresh Foundation. All three of you, welcome. Thank you. Thanks. Happy to be here. <laughs> I'm really happy all of you are here. Um, listeners, you are also here in a way because this is off the record. And if you have a question or a comment about food for this hour, give us a call. And we'll see if we can get some callers in. 970-728-4333. If you have a, a favorite recipe you want to share or a story about cooking or maybe you're just wondering the best way to make that one dish. Maybe one of our three guests will have some answers for you. So give us a call if you want, 970-728-4333. But to kick off this hour, I would actually like to pose a broad question to the three of you. Namely, I feel like food is one of those things, kind of like music. I feel like the, the food you eat and the music you listen to growing up becomes sort of like this weird subconscious staple of your identity. That's like my thesis. Feel free to refute it if you want. But I'm curious, based on that thesis, um, the role that food played in all three of your lives growing up. And Sadie, we can we can start with you on that broad question. Sure. Well, um, yeah, I think, I think you kind of n- hit the nail on the head with um, nostalgia. I think food is such a, food and music, art, every, like that's such a big piece of nostalgia for us and so easily accessible in our day-to-day life. So yeah, I grew up with food. My mom cooked. She's also a winemaker. Ooh. We also were kind of in this weird farm to table thing, which now is everywhere but growing up when I was younger was I was the weird kid that had like weird vegetables in her lunch and zero Twinkies and never saw Coca-Cola and just like constantly trying to trade with people for my lunch and nobody wanted to touch it so yeah I think I always saw it as kind of this it I mean it wasn't fun growing up but now I'm so happy that I grew up like that knowing where my food came from like all of our meat was slaughtered on our property and so which is kind of bizarre but I knew what what animal we were eating and what its name was and we all kind of talked about it so it was a very different side of of food I definitely had a very interesting introduction to food and that's definitely why I'm in the industry I am today was there a moment when like you realized growing up like most people don't slaughter their own meat at their house 100% yeah when people would come like friends would come over for like 
birthday parties and things like that. And my mom would be like, oh, this is the steer that we harvested. All my friends would be like, I'm sure we made some vegetarians during that during that birthday party because some kids were like, where am I? Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, I, I definitely had a moment maybe when I was like 13 and going to sports things with other families and we'd go to like fast food restaurants and that was like, whoa, this is so different. And I think that was like when the light bulb kind of went off for me. Mm. Of, oh, this isn't normal. <laughs> Percy, what was your food upbringing like? I just want to say that I would have totally traded like a green bell pepper for like the ban or probably the Twinkie my Greek mom never packed me <laughs> for lunch. <laughs> so I feel you on that. I always had the interesting elaborate lunches that I gave away. Um, yeah, my mom cooked all the time. Like, I can probably close my eyes and tell you right now, there's probably like seven loaves of banana bread in my mom's freezer, <laughs> like four quarts of tomato sauce. Um, it, wild. But um, I guess it's it just brought people together. Like dinner time was always like such a sacred time. My family, like no phones, no screen time. Like we're just going to talk about our days. Um, so I just like that aspect of food. Like no matter, like you celebrate things or mourn things, like you're always around food with it. Mm. We, Cause I know you're Greek Percy. Were there, were there any yeah. like particular Greek aspects of food that were, have really stuck with you from growing up? Yeah. You can never say no. <laughs> like you're never not, you can't not, not be hungry. Um, not really. I it's mean, probably also like an aspect of care too. Like my mom would, that was her love language was yeah. feeding people. My, yeah. Like my mom always baked for the neighbors. She was a teacher too. So like if she had to put some kid in time out for talking too much in class, like the next day that kid got brownies, homemade brownies. And it was like, that was her love language. Like I never got yeah. that. I just, just got put in timeout. Yeah, I, time, I just got put in timeout. Like, sorry. Would also incentivize getting in timeout if we're being honest. Yeah. Um, um, Galena, what was your food upbringing like? Well, I guess if there's one ingredient that kind of epitomizes the nostalgia of my upbringing is hatch green chili. Um, mm-hmm. I was raised in northern New Mexico, and although you know, came from an Irish Catholic. Uh, heritage. I very much was immersed in the culture of northern New Mexico and the, f- the food is so much a part of their culture and that then became a large part of me. In fact, if you open my freezer these days, it's filled with frozen hatch green chili because I can't go anywhere uh, without it really and <laughs> it's it just embedded in the culture of, of the northern New Mexico specifically. Um, peoples and even just their music and fiestas everything revolves around just delicious food um and so yeah green chili is is my happy place and my comfort food (laughs) and uh you know I also was had kind of hippie parents and always had you know like the carob and the oat milk and the you know homegrown veggies in my lunchbox and uh, that was know seemed normal to a certain point and then I kind of revolted against it and now that's kind of the upbringing I'm trying to give my children and 
putting as many veggies in their lunch boxes as I can sneak in. So. Nice. So did you bring any chilies today? <laughs> so you can't go come. anywhere without them, and here we are. <laughs> you don't have them. My kitchen. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I like really wanted to ask the three of you to like bring something to eat in here, and then I was like, that's too involved. We're gonna oh, keep, we're gonna I keep it easy for this first one. Maybe the next show we'll have actually like eating going on. Oh wow. Well, Here's <laughs> is chewing. Oh yeah, and ch- chatting about the how yeah. good this food is that yeah. our listeners can't taste. I know. Um, um, <laughs> Galena, you, as we mentioned, are on the board of the Fresh Foundation. Um, and I'm wondering, can you just kind of give us a, just an explanation of actually what the Fresh Foundation is? Yes, I can. So the Fresh Foundation uh, was founded in 2015 by four women in Norwood, um, Leela Serafin, Hannah Rossman, Melanie Eggers, and Sam Andrews. And uh Their mission from the beginning um, was getting local food into the hands of local people. Um, And the ethos of this organization is believing that farmers should be paid well for the good work that they do and also feel that everyone deserves fresh, high-quality food. Um, The vision is to minimize the disparity between these two profoundly important beliefs. Mm. So... um, the organization has evolved. Uh, it began with this vision, and um, the founders opened a co-op in Norwood. So there's a retail front, and through that co-op and exploring various grants and subsidies, started launching programs in the community to um, broaden food access and connect farmers with the community. Um, over time, that kind of shifted focus and were able to um, get a 501c3 status uh, in 2000, end of 2020. Um, And with that nonprofit status, the organization has kind of moved their um, efforts into more of the uh, kind of working on food security programs and working through wholesale. Um, Of course, COVID brought challenges to a lot of retail operations and finally had to come to the hard decision to close the retail storefront um, last September and are now just really focusing on the nonprofit aspect of the Fresh Foundation. And how did you get pulled into being a part of the Fresh Foundation? (laughs) So I just loved shopping at the co-op and it became very much a kind of cornerstone of what I feel like is the community in Norwood. Um, You know, the Wrights Mesa has, since the turn of the century, um, the 20th century, been the breadbasket of this whole region. In fact, the mining operations uh, in, in the whole region throughout the San Juan Mountains really couldn't have survived without the food being produced on Wright's Mesa. So mm. it's a very long and deep food heritage there. And um, farmers and ranchers have long been a part of, of the history. Um, and I just really started to see the connection between local growers and bringing that to the community and realizing how that was really affecting my life in a profound way. Uh, and so I really just wanted to get involved with the organization and give my efforts and energy where I could because I just found it to be so very important. Mm. I'm going to kind of, I, I didn't intend to do this, but I think we're kind of going down a bit of a, like a, a food chain web. We have kind of the, the growers and producers here with, with Galena in a way. So I'm going to jump to Sadie next because Sadie, you are 
uh, our, lo- our resident butcher in yeah. studio with us right now. You, as we mentioned, are the owner of Tomboy Butcher. I'm wondering actually if you can just kind of briefly tell, um, well, the story of how you, you became a butcher and how you ended up opening Tomboy Butcher. Yeah, well, like I said, I kind of grew up in that very interesting um, environment of being very um, aware of where my food came from. And I actually grew up in Northern California. I have family roots in Colorado, specifically Junction. Um, but yeah, I I was working in San Francisco in fine dining. I'm also a sommelier. I've been working as a sommelier for quite some time. Um, and that's kind of right when when I was kind of getting, getting into fine dining. It, there's always a Portlandia episode that I reference because everybody knows what I'm talking about when they're asking where the chicken's mm-hmm. from and they want to visit the farm and they like yeah. it's like this whole hilarious episode if you haven't seen it watch it it's Great very episode. funny <laughs> and that was like what was happening in San Francisco and I remember being at tables pouring wine and the server coming over and people talking about asking questions about meat like they would be wine and I was just like this is going to be interesting and Alice Waters is such a you know, crazy influence in the Bay Area and culinary culture nationally or even globally. Mm -hmm. And she was kind of making really big, um, she was, I mean, yeah, everybody was really starting to pay attention and kind of had the space to start paying attention and holding restaurants accountable as well. Um, Because there was kind of a backlash with Cisco and all of these Mm -hmm. big distribution companies. So, yeah, I kind of had this light bulb moment of, like, this is going to be something really cool. And I was doing inventory one morning at a restaurant in San Francisco for wine. And I would come in really early before my shift. And I just saw a pig carcass come through the restaurant into the kitchen. And I'm like, well, this is kind of cool. Like, what are we doing? And so I, you know, stuck back there and was talking to the chef. And he's like, yeah, we're starting to do our own charcuterie program and we're doing whole animal and we're gonna see if this works and this is really scary and we're just gonna see what happens here and I was like I want to be a part of this what can I do and they're like well you can like wash knives and do dish in the morning and maybe we'll like like you do your psalm stuff in the morning and then we'll kind of tie you in and I had a back like my mom butchered a lot of our Mm -hmm. I had a background in it I was also studying to be a veterinarian oh, for wow. a very short period of my life. Very. <laughs> Once I realized how much schooling was there, I was like, you know what, maybe this isn't for me. But I was already kind of enamored with anatomy and cooking. And uh, yeah, I just like kind of bullied my way in and just kind of befriended a lot of the sous chefs that were getting into because everybody was learning at that time we didn't have like a head butcher so we were all reading the same books and it was kind of just this really amazing experience of learning through everybody learning everybody's teaching each other so no it never felt I mean there were moments where it felt very there was a hierarchy of like the chef and the butcher and you had to only ask questions when they were you know, well-received, but yeah, that was kind of my entry into that. And then I worked for other chefs, other butchers, kind of like everybody has a different style. Everybody's trained a different way. It's very much so like woodworking or any sort Mm. of craft. You don't really go to school for it. You study under people and you kind of pick up your own style. So I did that in San Francisco for a long time, moved to Telluride um, to be a sommelier and then ended up doing actually my first butcher program was at Denton Hot Springs 
And it was just like with the GM, like, hey, why don't we do this? And they're like, oh, we've never thought about it. Let's try it out. <laughs> so, yeah, we had guests watching me break down a pig one time, and guests were really interested in it. And just kind of like this, it was just like a moment of we have something here. Like, people do want to know where their food comes from. And if yeah. you give them an opportunity to really show up, they're going to. And then I was like, you know what? Wine's fun, but I think I need another challenge. So here we are. <laughs> well, and I, I kind of, I don't want to like brush over it because, I mean, you know, you kind of mentioned like being enamored with, you know, in this restaurant in San Francisco, them, them, you know, t- taking the pig apart. Um, I mean, what was it that like attracted you to that? Because I, I'm going to take a guess that maybe the lay person listening to this isn't going to think, you know, cutting apart a pig is the most entrancing thing. But what was it about that that really pulled you into it? You know, I was just talking to a psychologist about this recently, about sensory, because I was always the kid sticking my hand in the vat of beans Mm. and, like, rice, and I was really interested in texture. And it's funny, because I talked to a lot of butchers about this. We actually really enjoy the work. And that sounds bizarre, and I'm sure some people won't be able to kind of get their head around but taking an animal something that looks very scary which is a you know a harvested animal looks scary like it's not what people are used to seeing and breaking it into something like a beautiful pork chop is so satisfying and Mm. I don't know like what that is about or why I have that but I've always had like a fabricating like urge like to take something that's not that pretty and turn it into something that's really respects the animal because I butcher in a way that I want my pork chop to look like the prettiest pork chop because then people are going to really take care of I'm going to get back to that but we're going to continue down this this food chain conveyor belt thing of like farms and farmers and producers and butchers and finally we have we have Percy who is the executive chef at the view at Mountain Lodge kind of going to, to restaurants at the end of this food chain chain in in a way um, Percy this question might shock you okay. but can you talk about how you how you became a chef and just kind of your road to, to really working up to where you are now you know, if my mom's listening, I love you, but your food was so terrible. I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm just kidding. Her food was incredible. Um, I, since a child, always wanted to have a restaurant, like a European-style cafe, and I always felt that that was, like, missing in the States. Mm-hmm. And in college, um, again, never cooked a day in my life because, like, why would I? My mom was always cooking. Um I kind of just told my parents, like, in the middle of dinner, like, I'm going to finish school, but I'm not going to continue, like, in the business degree. Like, I'm going to start a catering company next week, and I'm going to open a restaurant. <laughs> I think they almost choked on their food. Uh, wait, wait, did you just start, like, a catering company, like, from scratch? Yeah, I called my best friend's mom, and I'm like, hey, can I come over? And she was like, yeah, sure. I'm like, so, Mr. and Mrs. Daly, like, I'm going to start cooking. And they're like great like why are you telling us and I'm like I'm gonna start a catering company I know you have a lot of dinners so I'm here and they asked me to cater their Easter dinner for like 20 people in like two weeks out and I was like yeah I got this um I did get it but I think I cooked for like 100 people that day (laughs) it was so much food um and kind of just I had a res- like I resisted getting into the restaurant industry and then I was like forget it here we go 
just dive right in. I was a server and I'd always go in the back and like see what the chef was doing. And if he was like rolling a pork cat, I'm like, hey, like, what are you doing? Like, can I help? And he's like, don't you have tables? I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm going to clock out. Like you have me for like two hours. I have nothing to do. Like, let me do this. Or like, I'll jump on the line. Like I'd help like the kitchen if they were congested and kind of just worked my way through kitchens, like in all positions. Um, and was just very curious. I think like, that's the most important thing. Like you just Mm -hmm. walk into any kitchen, like forget what, you know, just be curious and learn the way that they do it. And then add, your style into it but why were you curious like what what like you committed so much like time and energy to like really understanding this from all perspectives it sounds like 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 why because everyone like the same way like butchering everyone has like some different style like cooking everyone has like a different style and I was like well how do you do this like and why you know why do you add lemon at the end of like cooking something why not in the beginning but like but just why the interest in food in the first place like such an intense interest that it sounds like you were so committed to because I like eating. <laughs> um, no. Um, again, it's, like, the nostalgic, like, around the table. And if you can provide that, like, that's still, like, I love it. Like, the fact that I can provide food for people and nurture them mm-hmm. um, in any given moment for any occasion. Like, that's just a great feeling. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely a love language that isn't in the book of love languages. Yeah. It needs to be added Ooh. in there. It does. Likes yeah. to feed people. It yeah. does. <laughs> and an art. Yeah. It is, the, I think, the ultimate art that you create and then is consumed. And it just is like never-ending energy consumed and yeah. expelled. And it's... Totally. And there's like one thing of like going out to eat and feeling like this was a great meal. But then there's also like so much more to like I cooked this meal and now I'm gonna nourish my body with this and knowing where your food comes from is like the best thing ever I go to tomboy butcher I think every Thursday or Friday to get a product and it's just so nice knowing like I know the person who like respected the animal and like broke it down I have bacon Mm -hmm. or sausage or uh DeMarco Oh, Delmonico steaks. Delmonico steaks. Like, yeah. What are Delmonico steaks? The best steaks ever. They're like a kind of an obscure cut that's originated from an Italian restaurant in New York, and it's the first three ribs of the chuck. So the ribeye into the chuck, so you get like this perfect balance of flavor and tenderness, and it's just... So mind-blowing but there's only there's only six in every steer so so they're the high-end they're highly tomorrow. coveted um yeah well, it's funny we, you just they'll probably be sold out and now you won't get any <laughs> secrets out of the bag yeah. um i'm listeners if you're just tuning in i'm matt hoist from the Kodo news team this is off the record if you can't tell this is a show all about food we have with us in studio persephone vorodakis uh, executive chef at The View at Mountain Lodge, Galena Gleason, who's a board member with The Fresh Foundation, and Sadie Farrington, owner of Tomboy Butcher. If you have any food questions or comments, give us give us a call for our expert panel, 970-728-4333, 970-728-4333. I want to throw out a question to all three of you because I feel like this is where the, the conversation is at this point on the topic of eating local and, and local food and, and locally sourced food and kind of the joys of doing that. But I'm also curious, you know, what would you say to someone who maybe would, would call in and just make the argument that, you know, eating local sounds great, but it's also a very expensive thing. And I feel like some people might see, you know, we buy locally as a sign of, of bougie luxury. 
what would what what is your response to I guess someone who might say that any of you um well have quickly having recently moved from like a large city to like a smaller town I can see where in a larger city like it can get lost for like hey but do you know this person like you're you're supporting their livelihood right in a city like no I don't know who you're talking about but in a smaller town like if someone were to tell me I'd be like you were just with this person like they grew your they grew your vegetables like this person butchered your food like that's your neighbor like take care of your neighbors Mm. and make it like hyper local and like elevate your community and like it just I think knowing that would give someone an incentive to be like okay I got it I mean at least for me yeah I think like fall back in love with your food and what better way to do that than buy food from your region and from the people from your community because honestly I mean people do not waste things that they source Mm -hmm. and I mean about the price I I mean I'm only speaking of inflation right now but it definitely is not cheaper with gas prices no Um, it's actually becoming the it's kind of going the opposite direction right now we're seeing um, at least I'm seeing with poultry that's you know shipped over from some of the big poultry factories in the south it's cheaper to go buy an Indian Ridge chicken for sure yeah Mm. and just learn to cook a whole chicken Mm -hmm. Well, the Fresh Foundation was actually founded on kind of breaking down that barrier because locally grown food or produced food is perceived to be more expensive. That's been, you know, just what people think about buying some local organic produce and they assume that the cost is going to be at least 25% higher. Um, And so one of the motives of the Fresh Foundation is to get healthy locally grown food to people who might not be able to afford it. Um, One of our exciting programs that we've, uh, this is our fourth year running, it's the Mountain Village Farm to Community Incentive Program. Um, And this program provides CSA boxes, community supported agriculture boxes for 14 weeks during the summer months. Um, This year, there are 85 households that are a part of this program and it's subsidized through the town of Mountain Village. And it's totally a win for the families receiving healthy food and also for our local farmers knowing that their crops will be sold once harvested because that can be troubling for farmers. They harvest food, you know, that's their Mm. job, but then actually getting it to market can be very challenging and a lot of food is actually wasted that way. Um, And so we've even expanded this program and offer these CSA shares to general public um, and at the farmer's market booth we also offer um voucher voucher it's voucher ready booth so customers utilizing snap or wick can come and shop at the booth so breaking down that barrier for cost someone from the hotel had too many radishes from their csa and gave them to me and they were delicious (laughs) Um, but also to add to that argument if you've ever tasted like store-bought arugula versus like farm grown arugula like the difference is huge or like a real tomato yeah or like a real like not a real like a home like locally sourced peach that hasn't been on a food truck like refrigerated for three weeks and picked before it was ripe like once you try that like yeah you you're crazy to go back yeah or you have covid (laughs) <laughs> like you just didn't you didn't you don't taste anything <laughs> um 
Galena and, and Sadie, I'll kind of throw this to you, Percy. If you have thoughts, you can feel free to jump in too. I'm kind of curious from both of you as kind of working um, Galena with a lot of farmers and growers and, and Sadie kind of really just, you know, working, you know, processing animals from, you know, the ground up almost. Um, for some of the challenges of really being, you know, primary sources for, for food in our region, growing it, butchering it, I don't know, does, does doing that in the San Juan pose any particular challenges? Sure. For me, it's been um, consumer education. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the f- we have this kind of delusion that food should be consistent all of the time and that it should look this specific way that we see in a photo. And that's not real life. And, um, you know, and especially it's I find it very interesting coming from a wine background that people talk about vintages and people don't talk about vintages and food and celebrate vintages unless you know there are less vintages it doesn't mean that that shouldn't get used mm-hmm. or that shouldn't still be respected or highly regarded um so yeah for me it's been and i knew that going into this industry that consumer education was going to be the real purpose behind my business and not necessarily just butchering meat and that's actually the part that i think i really gravitated to and why i took on the challenge because um, being a butcher is not it's not easy it's very labor intensive and stressful and you're dealing with a product that you know is doesn't have a shelf life and um so yeah that's probably my biggest hurdle but i've definitely in the past three years or two and a half years have seen i've definitely seen the fruit of that labor for sure galena mm. well i think that the 2022 vintage um kale green <laughs> grasshopper munched uh produce <laughs> going to be highly coveted because there's yeah. nothing like huge grasshopper eating holes in yeah. your greens that really just you know makes it extra delicious but right. make it a special at the view yeah, yeah. Um, but sam andrews who um owns and operates birdhouse farms and she grows beautiful produce just she's a wizard um but she uh there's a quote from her that i think sums up what it's like trying to grow food at 9,000 feet in the high desert because uh, it, it's no easy task. Um, so Sam says the high desert is not an easy climate to grow food at. The short growing season, intense sunlight and unexpected freezes, ongoing drought and other problems with water supply, even a passing hailstorm can decimate crops. This year we have had another grasshopper invasion on Wrights Mesa which has devastated local gardens. Farmers seem to persist through it all, and it is important to show them support as the local farmer at the local farmers markets and wherever local food is served. Even small purchases add up to a good living for the producer. And uh, I can just say that walking through my garden and just the sea of grasshoppers just jumping into my face and looking at the greens that have been just decimated and thinking about people that are out there making a living growing this food and Mm -hmm. it really um translates to their livelihood uh it's i have so much respect for it and um yeah the the folks that are out there producing food in this specific climate uh, are they're they're masters Mm. Percy, as you kind of um, craft your your menus at, at The View, I'm wondering kind of how do you go thinking about that, especially kind of putting the local aspect of that into context? I mean, does how does where you're at shape how you shape the menu? Oof. Um, 
That's like so hard. I mean, I just, that's a tough question. I remember sitting in like my office with my sous chef Isaiah and we're like, all right, Summer, let's figure out the menu. And we had to stop because we looked at the board and I was like, we're a seafood shack right now in like a landlocked place. Like that can't fly right here. Um, so I think we kind of, and I can't take all the credit for the menu because Isaiah is a great sous chef and he's like a culinary genius, I think. But I think we, based on the seasons, see what's local and what's uh, what's growing and then kind of build dishes based on that. Mm. So like we create like a, a skeleton, like seafood, let's try to get trout. Um, bacon, sausage, like let's source from here. And like he'll, he lives in town, so he's like, hey, if there's peaches, like should I pick them up? Like anything you find in the farmer's market, like get it, let's just throw a special, like whatever it is, you know? Um, and kind of base it all around what's available to us uh, that way. Mm. And then build a menu and like the flavor profiles around that. What are like the I'm I'm like the logistics of the menu, right? Because like I imagine you can say sky's the limit with like this is the food that would be great in imaginary land. Like to how how much do I guess then like the logistics how did the logistics shape the menu, I guess, is the question. Like do you have to say like I want to put this on and I have to assume I can get a steady supply of that for the next four months? Yes. There's that. There's so much more to it like we say okay like we want to put this on we want to put that on like summer to like let's put tomatoes like what reminds you of summer you know and we kind of put the base ingredients on there mm -hmm. and we build on that but then like okay we, we can't just bring this product in for one dish like how do we cross utilize like our inventory to like limit waste um which is such a big thing and a heartbreaking thing in the kitchen to see like your trash at the end of the night of like wow that's just a lot of waste uh or plastic packaging um but it you know it's like a, it, it, it's a penny business too so it's like keeping your inventory tight and like cross utilizing as much product as possible and using quality ingredients that are like accessible to everyone mm, yeah no, it's, I mean, especially with the, the food waste aspect of it. I mean, that's like, that's so interesting because I always feel like when I'm cooking individually, it's like, well, I buy this thing at the market and suddenly I have like a bunch of stuff I can't use. And I'd assume like in a kitchen, you there's more scale and so you can reduce the waste, but that's, that fantasy is incorrect. Oh, that goes into family meal every day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, um, listeners, if you're just tuning in, this is off the record. We have an hour all about food going on right now and we are just about at the halfway point of our show so we're going to take a quick break and be back in a few minutes um typically during these little breaks we, we sometimes play little musical interludes um but this is a radio show about food and you know the first thing that came to mind when i thought of this radio show about food is an snl sketch about a radio show about food um so we're gonna broadcast that sketch over the air as as a radio thing it's like a sketch on tv but it's a radio sketch so it works um this sketch actually features the one and only betty white um and it's about muffins and i, I probably should say this is this is a bit of a mature muffin sketch um and so if you don't want to listen to a mature muffin sketch It'll be done in about six and a half minutes. Um, but here is the delicious dish from NPR uh, featuring Betty White discussing muffins. This is off the record. We'll be back in about six and a half minutes. 
I'm Margaret Jo McCullough. And I'm Terry Rialto. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to The Delicious, Delicious Dish on National, National Public Radio. Radio. Well, Terry, tomorrow is the first Sunday in May, and it's one of our favorite holidays on Delicious Dish. That's right, Margaret Jo. Every year for one day, we celebrate and say thank you to Dietary, dietary Fiber. fiber. <laughs> As you all know, Sunday is National Dietary Fiber Day, yeah. and we've celebrated that together for years. Yeah, and even though we've been friends for a long time, you could say our shared love of fiber keeps our relationship brand new. <laughs> That's funny. Thanks. You took the D off brand and made it bran. Bingo. <laughs> Did you just come up with that joke? No. I got the idea the day after last day's, <clears throat> last year's Dietary Fiber Day show, and so I had to wait till now. So, Terry, what's your favorite kind of fiber? I like quinoa. Whoa. I threw you, didn't I? You thought I was going to say barley. Yeah. That was a real game changer. More like grain changer. Good one. You're lucky you thought of that joke today. Yeah, it's neat. It's fun. It's good, good times. Happy Fiber Day. Oh, to you too. Thanks. <laughs> Our guest today is a little bit of a rock star in the confectionery world. No kidding. She yeah. can shake it, break it, and sprinkle it, child. Please welcome Florence Dusty from Dusty's Old Time Bakery. Hi, Florence. Hi, Florence. Thank you for having me. Florence, what delicious treat are you going to share with us today? Ah, well, a lot of people like my pumpkin pie, and of course my, my carrot cake is obviously legendary. But if there's one thing I'm known for, it's my muffin. Mm. Wow. Get a whiff of that. Pretty intense, right? Mmm, I can't wait to taste your muffin. Mmm. Mm. Wow. Warm. Mm -hmm. Yummy. Mm. It's surprisingly salty. <laughs> I mean that in a very good way. Your muffin is remarkably velvety. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's true. I think we both assumed, and I think wrongfully, that a baker of your generation might tend towards a more dry or crusty muffin. <laughs> Well, that's true. Many bakers from my era uh, have dry or even yeasty muffins. A yeasty muffin can really ruin your whole day. Sometimes you're weak. Wow, the phone lines are really lighting up. We can get to those later. Florence, there's a tangy taste in this muffin. Is that a cherry? Oh, no, no, my muffin hasn't had a cherry since 1939. Your muffin sure has seen a lot. Mmm, oh. mm. mm. mm, your muffin just squirted in my mouth. It happens. <laughs> I guess I'm eating it the right way. Yeah, go to town. You know, I don't talk about it a lot, but I went through a pretty major muffin phase in college. 
I would have guessed that based on your appearance. <laughs> it's the haircut. Now, you're unveiling your new muffin today. Are you nervous about how it will be received? Well, you know, girls, when I was younger, I was so concerned with how my muffin looked. But as I got older, I started to think, to heck with it. This is my muffin, and I don't care how it looks. I'm just going to let it all hang out. That's really progressive. You go, sister. That's right, child. I'm Florence Dusty. I'm 88 and a half years old, and I'm proud to unveil my giant Dusty muffin. Just look at that. Look wow. at that. It's timeless. Really, it's a lot, a lot went into that. A whole lot of business. <laughs> well, ladies, as I used to say to my loving husband, Irving, of 55 years, what are you waiting for, stupid? Eat it. God bless. Good times. God bless you. Well, thank you so much, Florence. And to our listeners, don't worry, we'll be sure to post some really sweet muffin shots online later. <laughs> Good times. <clears throat> That's all for Delicious Dish. Join us next week when we'll be talking about pork, pork buns. buns. Not a fam. Oh, that was SNL. The, the one and only Betty White. Muffins and radio. Uh, you know, what is Kodo for if not for doing stuff like that every now and then? <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Just grateful none of us are bakers. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you're just tuning in, this is off the record. That is the, the last SNL sketch, sadly. We will hear this hour, but not sadly. It's because we're spending the rest of this hour talking with three local food folks from our region for this installment of Off the Record, all about food. That was our brief interlude there. Um, but we have with us in studio Galena Gleason, a board member of the Fresh Foundation, Sadie Farrington, owner of Tomboy Butcher, and Persephone Vordokas, executive chef at The View at Mountain Lodge. Listeners, if you have any food-related questions for any of these three, give us a call, 970-728-4333. 970-728-4333. We have a, a butcher in here, folks. If you need to know how to, to butcher something, I mean, we maybe can get some butcher advice over the radio. We actually did get a question texted in, um, so we'll, we'll go to that, actually. And this one, maybe Galena would be the best to answer it. The, the person asks for people who are cooking for one and would like to partake in a CSA, but it's too much food. Are there any suggestions for how you can prep stuff to save it or, or what you should do to maybe make that CSA um, last for one person? Yeah, that's a great question. So I've started freezing my vegetables. <laughs> um, my, my recent favorite, because I actually have kale coming out of the wazoo, um, is... I just chop it, I blanch it, I chop it up, and I freeze it. And I have kale in the middle of January and throw it in my smoothie, throw it in the mac and cheese for the kids, um, you know, just kale through all 12 months of the year. Um, so you can get creative with freezing food or um, making sauces, freezing, you know, once again. Um, that's, that's one really good way to make produce last, uh, you know. 
you might find a friend or two that would go in on a CSA share with you. Mm -hmm. And that certainly works. Put the share into CSA share. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Share the love. So (laughs) that would certainly work. Um, But if you can't, you know, wrap your mind or your time or your budget around an entire CSA share, um, you can certainly just hit up farmer's markets and get what you want when you want through the growing season. And that works very well. Um, at the Mountain Village Market, uh, which is on Wednesdays from 11 to 4, um, not only does the Fresh Foundation um, bring CSA boxes, but there's an array of food from local growers that you can buy just at a farm stand there. Um, and in Norwood on Thursdays from 6 to 8 by the High Country Bike Shop, uh, there's a pop, pop-up farm stand there as well. So you can come uh, pick up goods and not have to buy an entire CSA share. Mm. Percy, I'll also turn to you as our, our resident chef. Any tips for making copious amounts of veggies last? Um, yeah, just call your neighbors and feed them. That'll yeah, do party. it. Uh, <laughs> um, you can always make like soups and stews, mm. and I feel like that lasts a very long time, and you can freeze those. Um, I think freezing vegetables, especially like leafy greens for smoothies, is great. You can just throw them into a super stew later on in the year um but number one just call your neighbors there's always someone hungry feed them or or give it to them and tell them to return the tupperware with food Ooh, right get food back in your tupperware yeah, that's a hack right there yeah um Light back <laughs> sadie i was i was um I was crowdsourcing some questions for the show. Just, you know, saying I'm going to have these folks on. Do you have any questions for them? And one person just gave what I think is is a brilliant and an obvious question that I should have really just thought of. Their question for you, Sadie, was how do you butcher a cow? How, how do you, you butcher how, a cow? What are the steps? Okay. Well, I mean, you kind of break it down piece by piece. Um, it's generally a steer for most of the time, okay. which is... Um, which is a male. Um, But yeah, sometimes cows. But yeah, break it down piece by piece, kind of work your way through. There's subprimals, primals, then you're getting into cuts. Um, Everybody kind of does it a different way. I definitely primal it out, then subprimal it into smaller, more manageable pieces. I'll go through, cut all my steaks or roasts or anything like that, and then clean things kind of as I go. And by cleaning, I mean like taking um, off silver skin or um, even when I'm like prepping for grind because we grind whole muscles um, a lot of the times. I will kind of go, I, once you understand the anatomy, you kind of know the tough muscles that you might need to break down even even more. Or, and also just reading the animal. I mean, mm. one of the lovely things about being a whole animal butcher is not you don't butcher every animal the same, especially in the same season. Like lamb in the fall is like amazing. And the way I butcher a lamb in the fall and the way I butcher a lamb in the spring is very different. Oh, what's the difference? What they're eating. I mean, they're coming off of really amazing alpine grass by fall. So fall lamb is, like, stunning. And everybody wants lamb in the spring, which is... uh, I mean, California, you get lamb in the spring, Mm. but that's not how our seasons work. And that kind of ties into just the educational aspect of your consumer and kind of letting them know that there's times to eat this when it's the best and there's times when it's not going to be so good and not everything's going to be consistent and how I butcher is never consistent. If I have, I mean, I can tell if an animal's was really high strung in the way I butcher it, how much tension is in those neck muscles. Um, so I will generally use that for sausage or roast if it's in the winter. 
so yeah, it's kind of there's. I, I, I wish I had like a more concise answer to that question, no, no, no. but honestly, it's um, yeah. What? I actually have a question for you, Sadie. Yeah. So when you started butchering, like you grew up seeing your mom butcher animals. Like, do you think that your style resembles more of the way that you grew up watching an animal being butchered, or the way that you learned under the chefs that taught you? A little bit of both. Um, gener- my mom was like, I mean, we d- we definitely were not like, you know, we were middle class. Food was in, you know, expensive. And especially when you grow it yourself and you've put the time and work into feeding that animal every single day, um, you really don't want to waste any piece of it. So my mom would definitely leave everything, silver skin. Um, I definitely grew up eating gristle and just that's normal. Um, I definitely don't do that for my butcher shop and I just utilize my gristle for dog food and things like that. Um, so we're generally still as little waste as possible, but um, I'm definitely mindful that I want my you know, consumer to enjoy the best possible. If they're eating a burger, I do not want them to have a piece of gristle in their burger. But um, yeah, so... Yes, I learned from my mom, but I also really got a lot of, um, just a lot of finesse. My mom's not a fin, she's more of a cleaver type woman, and I'm definitely a little bit more. I studied under a couple French butchers, which are very, um, a lot of finesse and a lot of um, kind of style to it. Also, um, I think more of the zero waste aspect comes from my mother. Uh, so even teaching people that animal fat is some of the best fat you can get. Preach. Yes. <laughs> and if you're looking to like not add a lot of salt into your dishes and sugar into your dishes and feel satiated, um, fat's really the way to go. Um, specifically pork lard. If you've um, actually Bill Masters, shout out to Bill Masters. I heard he makes the best pork lard biscuits in town. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yum. So um, we might have to get that recipe from him. Man, but, of so many. Um, I've heard many stories about his bis- his pork lard biscuits, and now I feel like I'm getting close yeah. to that muffin. <laughs> yes, tell us about. Hey, <laughs> can you tell us about Bill's biscuits? <laughs> but yeah, but I it's like experiencing people utilizing, um, you know, things that are deemed bad or deemed. Um, unhealthy and that was really just Procter and Gamble on in a scheme to make Crisco in everybody's homes and take away and pork lard not um, so and now we know how awful Crisco is so um, really going back to the basics and going back to clean food is um, yeah so what you just said about butchering an animal at um, different times of the season and how you butcher that differently that really just got me thinking about just how important it is to eat local food and a um, major aspect of that is you are actually eating the landscape that you live in and you become more a part of the landscape when you eat locally and um, I've experienced that personally being a beekeeper and tasting the honey from the different blooms throughout the season and it's it you can really hone in on just fine taste between like um, alfalfa or peppergrass or if they're you know um, gathering pollen from the apricot trees the honey has its different vintages yes. and tastes and you really start to hone in on what's in bloom and how that relates to the honey and I, I just love thinking about eating the food that's grown in your backyard and how you become a part of the food system totally and it's you know I think food's supposed to be not just something we have to do 
um, we can make it a little bit more than that and add some love and romanticism to cooking um, because it definitely makes it more enjoyable and fun to share. Mm. Yes. Listeners, we're, we're in about the last 10 minutes or so of this hour all about food. But if you have a question for one of our three food panelists, give us a call, 970-728-4. If you got a question, if you got a comment, if you have a, a favorite recipe that you would like to broadcast over the airwaves, 970-728-4333 to call in for this hour all about food. Um, I want to throw a question out to kind of all three of you, and, and I feel like we've touched on it a bit tangentially really throughout the hour. Um, but I'm actually really curious to hear from the three of you a question that I'm going to ask in a sec because we're getting a caller right now, and we're going to bring him up. Hey there. You're live on Kodo. Hey, Matt. This is Fletcher. Thank you for assembling such a cool panel of experts. Um, I am curious how we can support this uh, idea and, and propel it forward a bit. Um, so maybe if Sadie could chime in on uh, hours that you're open and how somebody who's you know, interested in getting some meat, should they just walk in any time or make an appointment? And then uh, obviously supporting the view, getting a table there is easy enough. And um, my food question is uh, specifically about cooking a whole chicken, which I do often. And I feel like I'm always tinkering and trying to get the skin just right as it comes out um, and then have it be good again the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've got any chicken skin tricks, I'd love to hear them too. Thanks. Ah, thanks for the call. Um, we'll take maybe the easy question first, Sadie. How do folks get a hold of you if they're interested in this? Yeah, thanks for the question, Fletcher. Um, I'm open 11 to 4, Tuesday through Friday. Right now it's just me. We all know that um, finding help in this town is a um, my version of Everest, I think, right now. Um, but, yeah, 11 to 4, call the shop. We're whole animals, so we don't always have everything that everybody wants, but the, luck, the lucky thing about that is I will help you find something awesome that might not be what you expected, but I've got a lot of recipes and cooking instructions under my hat, so I'm happy to help you find something awesome. And even, I mean, there's been times when people come in to look for, you know, they want a tenderloin, and I sell them a hanging tender, which is a different muscle, but I think is a better steak. It's cheaper, and now they don't buy tenderloins, and they buy hanging tenders. So it's kind of cool to, like, get people into different stuff that they're, it's out of their wheelhouse. Um, so, yeah, that's one of the ways. We also have sub- subscription box, which is a whole animal share, and if you're really into... Um, not knowing what you're going to get and getting a surprise in your box every month and, you know, figuring out and trying different recipes with, like, beef cheeks is something we recently had, um, then, yeah, that might be for you. So shoot us an email, call the shop. Yeah. Galena also, if anyone wants to get involved with the fresh, the, the fresh Foundation and just getting more fresh food from local farmers. Yeah, so going on our website is a great way to just uh, check out the Fresh Foundation. Um, That's freshfoodhub.net. We're now offering uh, for individuals to order cases through our online system, so you can go on our website and just order cases there. Um, And then, of course, uh, what I mentioned before at the Mountain Village Market on uh, Wednesdays from 11 to 4, or if you're in Norwood, uh, stop by the bike shop on Thursday evenings from 6 to 8 and there will be farm stand uh, set up there and uh, we have 
producers from the region, Indian Ridge Farm, Birdhouse Farm, High Desert Gardens, Laidback Ranch, Bonaquista Beef, the Apple Core Project, Austin Family Farms. Those are all of our local producers. Um, and then we also offer goods from Thornycroft Kitchen, Bluegrouse Bread, Wild Gals Market, Pueblo Seed and Food Whole Grains, uh, Rockin' W Cheese, and Home Steak Seasonings. Those are all of the producers and um, organizations that we offer food from at our uh, online and uh, at our farm stands. Mm. Percy, can I throw the chicken skin question at you? Yeah, for sure. Um, Fletcher, I'm not going to lie. I thought you were Bill calling about your biscuits, and I got really excited. But I'll let it go. I'll meet, I'll, meet, I'll meet famous Bill and his biscuits one day. Sheriff Masters, if you're listening, call in. <laughs> Please. Um, so, yeah, crispy chicken skin. Um, first things first, don't put it in a microwave. Uh, I, You know, Chef Mike is great, but I don't – I have no use for him. Um I'd probably, to reheat it and get it crispy again, either put in a cast iron with some oil, right? Uh, You can render some fat that way too, or just put it in the oven, like get it nice and hot, and right when you get it to the temperature you want it, like put it on broil. That's a... I've got a little hack to add, Um, particularly because a lot of our local chickens, um, they're not, you know, they don't have huge, gigantic chicken breasts on them so um there's a method called spatchcocking and it's when you take the spine out and you break the clavicle and you lay it flat and that way because when you're trying to cook something with a hollow cavity it's never going to cook evenly you will have dried out chicken breasts so people try to make their skin really crispy and they're just overcooking their chicken breast Mm. so if you spatchcock it put it on a um you know a a rack in your oven you can really blast it at the end um, and baste it and make sure it's nice and moist and then hit it at like 400 and just make sure all that skin's really crispy without overcooking it and that's my trick and it stays really ju- like moist and juicy um, I just said moist over there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. And yeah, juicy. You um, <laughs> this... breasts, too. Wow, Sadie. <laughs> this might be an ambitious question to go out on. We've got a, a few minutes left and so I'm gonna I'm gonna try and get this though i'm curious from all three of you i i fall into this bucket i find cooking really intimidating i want to be a better cook i want to do better things with food i'm intimidated by it um and so i'm curious for each of you i mean is there just like a recipe or something you all have that you cook that like is really impressive and really easy to do like something deceptively simple that like you would be able to explain over the airwaves and equip our listeners with maybe three recipes that they can just experiment with over this next week and, and make everyone see what a great cook we all are in our hearts um yeah so you take a bowl a spoon cereal and milk <laughs> that's such a chef answer yeah. <laughs> like i don't cook at home or a grilled <laughs> cheese um you know what a solid grilled cheese it surprises people every time i tell them use mayo on the outside of your bread instead of butter because you'll get like that really good crust and the, it won't burn, and the cheese will melt, like, perfect every time. Ooh. Sadie? And people hate mayo, but 
Yeah, just use, use it. it. Just use it. Yeah. Um, mine is uh, because I butcher all day. People think I eat copious amounts. Like I go home and just like pound a ribeye. <laughs> I don't. Um, sometimes the last thing I want to see is steak. Um, so I generally take like the tiniest bit of ground pork that w- got stuck in my grinder, like in between, because I don't want to throw it away. I will take that home and I will throw in every veggie that's about to go mm. south in my um, in my fridge. I will do some sushi rice or quinoa and just do like hoisin, like a little, like make like a random sauce that's honestly never the same. It's always like ponzu, hoisin, a little bit of fish sauce, soy sauce, and that's like my, and then throw on nuts and it looks beautiful. And it looks like I worked really hard, but it took 10 minutes. Where was that recipe with the CSA question? <laughs> like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also really literally hungry. just tied it all in. Oh, yeah. Galena. Well, I don't know if I can follow that. <laughs> uh, my latest thing has been, I mean, I have two small children, so I'm always trying to get them to eat vegetables. And uh, I make eggy bites. So I just, like, whip up a bunch, dozen eggs, put a little bit of milk or cream in there, and maybe, like, asparagus from our pasture, any vegetables that I'm trying to get in my kids, and just turn the oven to 350. Usually I'll put bacon in there because bacon makes everything better, right? <laughs> um, and then just pour... Uh, the egg mixture in muffin tins and bake it at 350 for like 20 minutes and voila you've got breakfast you can put it in the refrigerator and reheat them and it's brilliant it's I'm also breakfast yeah, on the go and voila um well those are those ingredients the ingredients to today's radio program have been me i'm matt hoish from the coder news team we've also had on air with us galena gleason a board member of the fresh foundation sadie farrington owner of tomboy butcher and persephone vordokas executive chef at the view at mountain lodge all three of you just thank you so much thanks for having us thank you listeners thank you for joining us for another installment of off the record stay tuned we're gonna have more news we're gonna have more music heck rock and rob's on rock and rob is on in just a sec uh tonight we're gonna go out with something a little bit different here is uh let's eat by macklemore some sweatpants on and I fed my cat and then I walked to the mini mart and I really want a donut shouldn't get a donut by the donut come in it's really hard it's supposed to be on a diet I want to be like Ryan he lost 30 pounds on that paleo but get man I love fried sh- I was gonna get skinny for the summer I was gonna start doing my crunches but looking down in my stomach I'm gonna go to the beach but I'm not taking my shirt off in public my girl's shaped like a bottle of coke me I'm shaped like a bottle of nope I like to order a hot dog, some bonbons, a large soda, and some tacos to go. I never knew what a carbohydrate was. Turns out that it's all the snacks I love. I want to be like Hugh Jackman. You know Jacked Man with a really huge package. I want to be the 2015 Batman and send Ben Affleck packing. If you ain't gonna treat Jennifer Garner right, you don't deserve to have that. You better pass that to the homie Matt Damon. He did the booty like Pac-Man. Pac-Man. <laughs> you know I feel good about this place. You know I feel good about this steak. You know I feel good about this shake. You know I feel good about these flicks. You know I feel good about these crepes. You know I feel good about this cake. You know I just love how it tastes. I'm not gonna wait, I'm not tripping by my weight, no. 
Happy New Year's! Everybody got our resolutions. But the next day, we forget about it, never do. I went to the gym and got a membership. Five minutes on the treadmill, and I never lived. That was four years ago, I should probably cancel this. Cancel this. But they tell me I gotta do it in person, ain't that up? But tomorrow though, I'ma get fit. Give me a fuel band and a Fitbit. Give me some workout shoes and a bench press. Some Lululemons and a French press. I'ma finally focus, do some private yoga, exercise my shoulders. I'ma hide the donuts, realign my posture. No time for sofas. I'm finally sober, no lime coronas. But again, that's tomorrow. And today, man, I gotta go in. Cause it's my last day before I lose that weight. I gotta get one last plate and go big. I ate all night, cool, ate on ice. I woke up and I felt like sh and said, you know what, man? I should probably start on Monday instead. You know I feel let's good eat. about this place. You know I feel good about this steak. You know I feel good about this shake. You know I feel good about these flicks. You know I feel good about these crepes. You know I feel good about this cake. You know I just love how it tastes. I'm not gonna wait. I'm not tripping about my weight. No.